Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Good Monday morning, and we are following some major breaking news at this hour. A prisoner swap between the U.S. and Iran unfolding as we speak. Good morning. It's September 18th. This is today. Heading home, five Americans held in Iran for years, set to get their first taste of freedom today, expected to be flown out of the country this morning. The details behind the controversial deal, what the White House is saying about the exchange and the $6 billion at the heart of it. Still on strike. So justice! So justice! The historic walkout by auto workers enters day four with no deal in sight inside the tense negotiations and where things stand this morning. Honoring the fallen, an emotional vigil in Los Angeles overnight for a sheriff's deputy ambushed and killed in his patrol car. The manhunt for the suspects intensifying. Whoever did this. I'd give in or I'd give up really quick. We are going to find you. We're there live. In the spotlight, President Biden arrives in New York for a busy week at the U.N. And do Donald Trump's own words on Meet the Press undercut his legal defense? Were you calling the shots, though, Mr. President, ultimately? Uh, as to whether or not I believed it was rigged? Sure. I, okay. I, it was my decision. The fallout just ahead. All that plus new twist. The Utah mother and children's book author charged in the fatal poisoning of her husband now accused of witness tampering. What officials say they discovered in a handwritten letter inside her jail cell. Today, Monday, September 18th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to today. It is Monday morning. We're so glad you're starting your week with us. We've got breaking news this morning. Five Americans detained in Iran being released as part of a high-stakes prisoner swap. The controversial deal involves the return of five Iranians detained here in the United States and unfreezes $6 billion in Iranian money. NBC's Josh Letterman is standing by at Doha International Airport in Qatar for us. Josh, good morning. What's the latest? Hey, Savannah, good morning. A Qatari airplane carrying those five freed American prisoners is now on a roughly two-hour flight to here in Doha, Qatar, after leaving Iran. A senior diplomat briefed on the exchange tells me that also on board are two relatives of the Americans. After a brief stop here in Doha, they will begin the journey home. This morning, a years-long nightmare is over for five Americans imprisoned in Iran freed in a delicate prisoner swap between bitter enemies. The Americans expected to spend just a few hours on the ground in Qatar before being flown to the U.S. and starting the long road to recovery. For their families, the release couldn't come quickly enough. I mean, all of our families have been destroyed. The Americans include Siamak Namazi, imprisoned for nearly eight years, and Ahmad Shargi and Murad Tabas, both arrested in 2018. Iran accused all three of espionage and locked them up in Tehran's notorious Evin prison. The two other Americans have not yet been identified. 
The delicate deal took years to negotiate through mediators in Qatar. Two diplomats tell NBC News the Iranians and Americans never came face to face. In exchange, the Biden administration releasing five Iranian prisoners and unfreezing $6 billion in Iranian oil revenue under U.S. sanctions in South Korea. Republicans blasting President Biden for what they call a ransom payment, arguing Iran will use the money to fund attacks against the U.S. and its allies. These monies can be used to support terrorist organizations, Hezbollah, Hamas, um, and you know, venturesome actions of, of Iran. But the Biden administration insists Iran can only use the $6 billion on humanitarian goods like food and medicine, with the U.S. Treasury Department approving each transaction. I'm happy to be, uh, take any criticism that comes my way for that. I view it as job one uh, to do everything I can to bring Americans home. Once they're on the ground here in Qatar, the Americans are expected to undergo brief medical checks. The good news is they're all said to be in good health and they're not expected to stay long here in Qatar before they board that flight to the United States. Their families back at home clearly eager to welcome them and to put this dark chapter behind them. Savannah. All right, Josh Letterman on the ground there in Doha. Thank you. Let us bring in NBC's chief international correspondent, Keir Simmons. Keir, good morning. Um, when we heard the number $6 billion yeah. involved, I thought maybe we'd heard it wrong, but that's, yeah. that's a lot of money. Where's that money coming from and what is it for? Yeah, I mean, people will be stunned by that number, won't they? That number's been in Korea as a result of Iranian oil sales. Right? Iran hasn't been able to uh, get a hold of it. Uh, now it will be able to, but in a limited way. So what we're being told is it will be held by Qatar, uh, controlled as well by the US. It will only be used for humanitarian uh, purposes. On the other hand, Iran's president has told NBC just, just a week ago that the money was unjustly frozen um, and that Iran will decide how the money is spent. So that's just going to be one of the, the controversies over this, because, of course, remember, the background to all of this is uh, President Trump, when he was president, putting out of the Iran nuclear deal, the JCPOA, uh, uh, freezing Iranian money, uh, putting sanctions on I Iran. So inevitably next year, an election year, this will be an election issue, perhaps not the biggest election issue, but, but mm -hmm. certainly an issue. So, I mean, the Iran nuclear deal fell apart. This is always an issue with Iran, concern right. about Iran highly enriching uranium. Obviously, we've seen Iran's act uh, on behalf of Russia in Ukraine. Right. This is the background now to this deal. How yeah, does it all fit together? That's right. And, and by the way, this is a big move in a big week. We're going to hear from President Biden and President Raisi here in uh, New York for the UN uh, General Assembly. Uh, you're right. I mean, Josh talked about uh, slow negotiations taking place. There's also been a sense of a slow burning fuse uh, with Iran, as, as you rightly say, with the enrichment of uranium, with Iran selling uh, drones allegedly to, to Russia. I guess one argument could be diplomatically anything you can do to try to stabilize that relationship between Russia and Iran. Mm. Well, that's a good thing. There's another painful aspect of the timing, too, of course, because we, we're just past the anniversary of the death of Masa Amini, the, the woman who was killed uh, in Iran, the, the terrible, terrible, ruthlessly put down protests by Iran uh, after that. People will say that timing isn't right. And of course, there'll be the critics uh, saying if you hand over prisoners, you simply encourage a country anniversary to uh, take more prisoners. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll watch it. It's unfolding mm -hmm. as we speak this morning. Thank Thank you, Keir. Also this morning, the United Auto Workers strike against the nation's big three car makers is entering its fourth day. The two sides failing to agree on new contracts over the weekend and the consequences are starting to grow. NBC's Jesse Kirsch joins us from one of the picket lines. This one's near Detroit. Jesse, good morning. Savannah, good morning. Negotiations are back up and running, but still no deals. However, there were positive signs over the weekend. And despite the fact that, as you can see, 
There are still people picketing outside of this Ford plant. It appears the UAW and this company are making progress. As the United Auto Workers strike against the big three rolls into day four, this morning, signs of hope. The UAW writing on Saturday, we had reasonably productive conversations with Ford. Doesn't that seem like a long way to have come in a positive direction? Yeah, it does. But it also tells us that they haven't, it's not an agreement yet. So you can be as reasonable as possible, but is there an agreement for us to get back to work and continue to provide for our families? The company writing, Ford remains absolutely committed to reaching an agreement that rewards our employees and protects Ford's ability to invest in the future. General Motors also restarted negotiations with the union. And while more bargaining with Stellantis is expected today, the union and Jeep maker bicker over the weekend. We're just a number to them. They do not care. The stalemate impacting more than just those on strike. Ford says it laid off roughly 600 non-striking workers because of the walkout. And the companies have made some significant offers. But I believe they should go further to ensure record corporate profits mean record contracts. The UAW. And Biden says top aides are coming to Detroit, but the union says the White House is not part of negotiations. The UAW is still pushing for a 40 percent wage increase over four years, among other demands. The big three all say they've made four offers. The union says it has countered, but is keeping quiet on details. Now tens of thousands of livelihoods hanging in the balance. What? is it like to try to support a family of four on what you're making right now? You can't. You have to have dual incomes in the house. Like every, Everybody has to be pitching in. The UAW says what comes next depends on the big three. If they don't, they don't uh, come to the table and, and get things resolved, then we will keep, uh, we'll keep amping that up. That could mean targeting more plants, possibly expanding the strike. Something else we're keeping an eye on. The Teamsters say they will be sharing an important update tonight on the UAW strike, but already that other major union saying, quote, Teamsters don't cross picket lines. Savannah? All right, Jesse Kirsch in Detroit. Thank you, Jesse. Let's move now to the intense manhunt for suspects in the fatal weekend shooting of a Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy. Authorities describing it as an ambush attack. NBC's Danny Griffin has all the details. Hey, Dana, good morning. Good morning, Hoda. Just days after he was engaged to be married, Ryan Klinkenbrumer was gunned down in his patrol car. Officials familiar with the investigation tell NBC News their own surveillance camera captured a vehicle of interest pulling alongside Klinkenbrumer's patrol car before speeding away. Now they're looking for a suspect and a motive. This morning, grief and outrage over the tragic loss of 30-year-old L.A. County Sheriff's Deputy Ryan Klinkenbrumer. Did the deputy have words with this killer or did he not see it coming? Our deputy never even had a chance. Authorities say he was ambushed and killed Saturday evening while stopped at a red light in his patrol car near the Palmdale Sheriff's Station. Palmdale Sheriff is working in an emergency involving one of their deputies. Authorities hoping they'll be able to use the surveillance video captured by their own cameras to catch his killer. It shows a car pulling alongside Klinkenbrumer's patrol vehicle before speeding away. Law enforcement officials urging the public for information on a dark gray Toyota Corolla they are calling a vehicle of interest. Check your cameras. That could be the missing link to the information that we need. Investigators also sharing that they believe this was a targeted act. For no apparent reason, somebody decided to shoot and murder him. I'm assuming at this point because he was in uniform. 
This was an execution. We are going to find who did this. You can run, but you can't hide. Within hours of his death, a massive show of support for Klinkenbrumer, his fellow law enforcement officers escorting his flag-draped coffin in an overnight procession that temporarily shut down local highways. What was he known for around the office? Just an extraordinary young man uh, with, of integrity. Uh, would do anything for anybody. The 30-year-old had just gotten engaged to be married last week. His mother posting on Instagram, we are so excited to add to our family. Congrats to our son Ryan and his fiance Brittany. Overnight, a candlelight vigil held in his honor. His heartbroken family and friends left searching for answers. There's a lot of questions. We don't have a lot of answers. That's where our faith comes in. Ryan Klinkenbrumer was a third-generation officer following his father and grandfather into law enforcement. This morning, officials are offering a $250,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest and conviction of the suspect. Hoda. All right, Dana, thank you so much. Yeah, much more to get to 13 minutes after the hour. We say good morning to Craig. Craig? Savannah, Hoda, good morning. Good morning to you as well. President Biden is in New York for this week's U.N. General Assembly, rising tensions with Russia, China and North Korea, high on the president's list of priorities. Meanwhile, former President Trump is facing scrutiny this morning for some comments that he made during that exclusive interview on Meet the Press. NBC's new senior White House correspondent, Gabe Gutierrez, is following both stories for us from the White House. Gabe, good morning. Hey, Craig, good morning. It's a busy week for the president. Tomorrow, he's scheduled to address the United Nations General Assembly in New York. And then on Thursday, he's expected to meet with Ukraine's President Zelensky here at the White House. All this as he brushes off that impeachment inquiry. President Biden this weekend dismissing congressional Republicans who are investigating his family's business dealings. The president instead focusing on this week's United Nations General Assembly in New York on the packed agenda escalating tensions with China and Russia's war in Ukraine launched early last year. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter. As the war drags on, the U.S. is warning China against helping Russia, as growing tensions between the two nations are likely to be a flashpoint in the U.S. presidential race. Would you send the U.S. military into Taiwan if President Xi were to invade? President Biden I, says I he would. I won't say. I won't say. In an exclusive interview with new Meet the Press moderator Kristen Welker, GOP frontrunner former President Trump may have also complicated his legal defense. He now says it was his decision to spread the false claim that the 2020 election was rigged and to try to overturn the election results. Legal experts say that could undercut any defense strategy, blaming his lawyers. You called some of your outside lawyers. You said they had crazy theories. Why were you listening to them? Were you listening to them because they were telling you what you wanted to hear? You know who I listened to myself? I saw what happened. I watched that election and I thought the election was over at 10 o'clock in the evening. You were listening to your instincts. Uh, my instincts are a big part of it. That's been the thing that's gotten me to where I am, my instincts. But I also listened to people. Were you calling the shots, though, Mr. President, ultimately? Uh, as to whether or not I believed it was rigged? Oh, sure. I, okay. I, it was my decision. But I listened to some people. Some people said that. Meet the Press also extended an interview request to President Biden. Meanwhile, at the U.N. this week, the president is scheduled to meet with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Craig? All right. Keep your chairs from the White House.
Dave, thank you. Yeah, it is a rainy start in New York City for sure. It is just hard to get moving on a Monday morning when you have downpours down across New Jersey into Philadelphia, down through Delaware and parts of Maryland, too. This is going to extend up into New England. As you see, the heavier rain is moving into Connecticut. We do have some flood watches in effect because don't forget, Hurricane Lee brought a few inches of rain, especially across down east Maine over the weekend. So any additional rainfall could lead to that flash flooding potential. Just want to point out it's a quick moving storm system. So we'll start off with rain in the morning across the mid-Atlantic. This will move up into New England by this afternoon and evening. And then by tomorrow morning, the whole thing, for the most part, will be pulling away. A little bit of moisture on the backside of it. So still this afternoon, we'll hang on to a few spotty showers. But most of the heavier rain will be across Maine, up through New Hampshire, into southeastern Massachusetts, into uh, Rhode Island, too, where we could end up with about one to maybe up to three inches of rain. Just something to keep in mind as we start off this work week. Elsewhere, though, most of the country is looking absolutely gorgeous. Wall-to-wall sunshine up across the Midwest, 70s and 80s, a little warmer across the Northern Plains, highs today in the 80s and 90s. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, thank you. Still ahead, guys, a new development in the case against a Utah mother and author accused in the fatal poisoning of her own husband. Erin McLaughlin is following that story. Hi, Erin. Hi, Hoda. That's right. Prosecutors are alleging they've uncovered evidence of witness tampering, pointing to a letter the defendant, Corey Richens, wrote from her jail cell. I'll have all the latest legal drama coming up. Plus, we are hearing from the surfer in Florida who was just attacked at the beach known as the shark bite capital of the world. His frightening encounter in his own words. But first, this is today on NBC. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Back now, 7.30, something special. You know where that is? Right across the street. Look at this. The iconic love statue. It's back in New York for the first time in four years. Wow. It is a spot. It's Robert, uh, Indiana's famous piece of work. 
It's now here at 30 Rock. It's been in other places. You always see people standing in front Aww. of it, taking their little pictures and all that. But uh, we're going to get a closer look. It's, it's just crying bit. out for a Today Show selfie, don't it you think? Us. We yes. need to go over there. Mm-hmm. We're going to start this half hour with some new developments in that closely watched case we've been following here. The Utah mother of three and children's book author was accused of murdering her own husband. Well, this morning she's being accused of witness tampering, too, after a handwritten letter was found in her jail cell. NBC's Aaron McLaughlin is following the story. Aaron, good morning. Good morning, guys. Prosecutors allege in a letter discovered during a search of her jail cell, Corey Richens instructs her mother to direct her brother Ronald to falsely testify on her behalf. Meanwhile, the defense is calling the acquiring of that letter a violation of attorney-client privilege, all of this amounting to more drama expected to play out in court. Behind bars since May, accused of fatally poisoning her husband Eric with a lethal dose of fentanyl, Prosecutors now claim they have evidence of witness tampering, alleging Corey Richens tried to compel a member of her own family to provide false testimony. The allegation coming after a search of Corey's jail cell last week uncovered a six-page letter handwritten by Corey, which the prosecution alleges was intended for her mother. Writing in court documents, Corey concocts a false narrative about her deceased husband's drug use and that the letter was intended to relay instructions to her brother Ronald to testify falsely that Eric obtained pain pills and fentanyl from Mexico. Corey also allegedly writing, reword this however Ronald needs to make the point. Just include it all. Tell him I need him to do this. Bring me home. Everything I've seen in this letter is completely untrue. This morning, a spokesperson for Eric's family reacting to the letter. This is a desperate attempt to try to get others to make up stories to bolster her version of the case. The state and I have been working through discovery. Corey Richens has been charged with first-degree aggravated murder for her husband's death in March of last year. At the time, she told police she made him a Moscow mule before officers found him unresponsive at the foot of his bed. An autopsy later revealed Eric had five times the lethal limit of fentanyl in his system. Five times the lethal dose is not accidental, Your Honor. That is a that, that is someone who who wants Eric dead. Prosecutors are now asking the judge to prohibit Corey from contacting her mother and brother. In response, Richen's attorney arguing the letter was obtained through a potentially illegal search, claiming it was found in an envelope marked attorney privilege and that its release violates a gag order which could taint the jury pool. Corey has yet to enter a plea and was denied bail after an emotional impact statement from her late husband's sister. I may be naive, but I never knew evil like this existed. So, Aaron, what happens now with the letter? Well, Savannah, Corey Richens' attorney is asking the judge to remove the letter from public records, in part because they know global media outlets are closely following the case. Any filings like this one are generating a buzz. In addition to making a decision on that, the judge will also have to decide whether the letter warrants a no-contact order with her mom and brother. We should mention we reached out to her attorney for comment, but have not heard back. Savannah. All right, Aaron, thank you very much. Also this morning, we're hearing from the surfer in Florida who became the latest shark attack victim in a season Mm. filled with close encounters. He was visiting the Daytona Beach area and said he uh, actually said he had a bad feeling even before he got in the water. NBC's Sam Brock talked to the guy. Sam, good morning to you. 
Craig, Savannah, Hoda, good morning. Look, I guess you could say it's eyes wide open when you're surfing in an area, New Smyrna Beach, that is known as the shark bite capital of the world. And certainly it has lived up to its name this summer. That is five reported incidents now in less than four months, including what happened to Mark Somerset, who was just out there trying to enjoy the surf generated by Hurricane Lee when he came face to face with the shark who bit him in the face. We have to warn you, some of these images are graphic. The Daytona Beach area boasts some of the best surfing anywhere in the world. But for South Carolina native Mark Somerset, the lure of the waves came at a heavy cost. The pain is still here. It still hurts. Somerset's reeling from a severe bite to the face, stretching from his forehead to his jaw and requiring 18 stitches. He never saw the shark coming after finishing a wave and jumping off his board. I felt this pressure on my face. It felt like a bear trap. I think he just ripped down a little bit. Five, sharks have five rows of teeth, so he, he tore me up pretty bad, and uh, he let go. Aerial shots showed a number of the highly feared fish in the water after the attack. Somerset told us he spotted around 10 the day before. I spoke to my girlfriend, and I was like, it's crazy, all these sharks here. Something's, something's going on, like, I don't know if it was intuition or something, but I felt like I was going to get bit. It continues what's been a highly active summer for shark scares. From the shores of Long Island to the Florida Panhandle. According to TrackingSharks.com, there have been 32 bites in the U.S. through mid-September, more than half in Florida and six in New York. Just in New Smyrna Beach, that makes five attacks in less than four months, including Brandon Boncori, who sustained this scary bite to his ankle. Still, Somerset acknowledges he's entering the shark's environment and has a hunch what triggered the confrontation, his gold chain. It thought I was a fish, the scales on the fish, and he grabbed my face because of that. I believe I'm almost 100% certain of that. As for whether he'll get back on the surfboard again, the 38-year-old says that's a no-brainer. If I die surfing, I die a happy man. You know, I, I, I just... That's something that I will do and I will carry with me with, with me for the rest of my life and I will never stop surfing. Just in case you were wondering about his passion, Mark also said he thought about the idea of continuing to surf that day, but the immediate need guys for medical attention kind of prevented him from being able to do so. Now, Mark also, you heard him say, has never seen that many sharks in his life. What if a shark like this washed up on a sandbar near you? I want to show you some video right now. A Texas couple celebrating their anniversary on Pensacola Beach happened to stumble upon this. That is a mako shark. The wife was videotaping as her husband went out there. She and a group of men tried to take it by the tail fin and drag it back into the ocean. My favorite part about this was, and she says, quote, look at them freaking teeth. Yes, true words I think have never been said. And you know what, guys? I do like shark stories that end positively, as it did in this case. Well, they, they were brave. They were. Yeah, to save were, his yeah, life. They were something. They were wow. something. All right. Guys. Sam Brock. I mean, if it's a shark attack cap, like if, if that's, that's the name sad. of, maybe you don't go in the water. Well, and maybe if you get bit, you don't go back in the water. Well, surf, you know, surfing is life. Yeah. You know, you hang loose, Craig, or whatever they say. What I think they, that's what they say. I, what I think, think that's what they say like in 1983. Yeah, well, no, I don't know. Coming up, guys, Drew Barrymore <laughs> is reversing the controversial decision to bring back her talk show Amid the strikes in Hollywood, her emotional message on why she says she changed her mind. But first this morning, Emily Kett is here with a new wrinkle in the breakfast wars. 
Hey, good morning. Well, it turns out some Americans are not going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs or cereal for that matter as they reach for more grab-and-go breakfast options. Coming up, what's driving Americans' choices in the kitchen? Some of you may be making those decisions as we speak. And how cereal companies are trying to stay afloat. Stay with us. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Ah, it's nice to dream about cheese for a bit. Tillamook cheddar, extraordinary dairy. We are back, 742 in depth today, and a question. What are you having for breakfast, yeah. like right now? Cereal, as, as you know, it's been a staple for generations of Americans, but apparently that's no longer the case. Really? All right, well, NBC's Emily Aketa joins us now to explain all this. Hey, Em, good morning. Good morning, guys. Well, with so many of us on the go these days, it's hard to even find time to sit down and have a morning meal. And as appetites and health priorities evolve, grab-and-go breakfast options are taking a bite out of cereal sales. So now those companies are looking for ways to get more boxes off shelves and back into bowls. A longtime family favorite to kickstart the morning. Kicks. Kid tested. Mother approved. Cereal's popularity now may be growing a bit stale. Many Americans are now limiting sugary carbohydrates from iconic morning mascots like Count Chocula and Toucan Sam. And turning to protein-packed grab-and-go breakfast options like smoothies and bars. The pandemic gave a temporary boost to the cereal market with people staying at home. But the long-term downward trend has returned. The Wall Street Journal reporting that after a 5% cereal sales increase in 2020, sales dropped nearly 9% in 2021 and almost another 4% last year, according to Circana, which analyzes consumer behavior. The reality is when people started to get back to work, they wanted convenient, they wanted healthier, they wanted, in fact, more protein than ever before. Now, top cereal companies are looking for ways to get their boxes back off the shelves and onto tables across the country. Kellogg, home to household names like Frosted Flakes and Rice Krispies, is splitting off its North American cereal division into a new business, W.K. Kellogg Company. Setting the North American cereal business free to be a cereal business was a way to unlock real value for a share owner. And General Mills faring well, in part by focusing on its message of heart health, emphasizing oats and whole grains in its Cheerios brand products. But many Americans are also looking for the best value, battling inflation and shrinkflation, or the downsizing of a product without reducing its price. Turning to private label cereal brands with similar choices at a cheaper cost. And in the game of breakfast wars, experts say brands are smart to quickly adapt to changing appetites and an increasingly health-conscious nation. It's not just what's on the front of the package that matters. It's the back of the package as well. 
And I should mention, we reached out to General Mills, Kellogg, and Post, but have not heard back. Okay, and so you mentioned that Kellogg's being split into two companies. Yep. So what is that going to mean for the cereals? Well, Kellogg executives are hoping that it will allow for more innovation. So essentially, when the cereal is no longer under the same umbrella as its booming snack sector, they'll be able to create more space and prioritize being creative when it comes to marketing cereals. And But I think regardless, for all of these flagship cereal companies, mm-hmm. it's going to be a careful dance of embracing the iconic brands we have known and loved for yeah. so long, while also meeting consumer trends. For instance, sometimes it's the parents actually going for those kid-marketed friendly cereals mm-hmm. for dessert. Like, I, I could go for a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, or that's my go-to. Golden Grams. I just love them so much. That's a good one. Remember good Captain one. Crunch with yeah. Crunch Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, Although it would just kill the, the top of your, your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, good. They're oh. tasty. Yeah. They are. Thank you, Emily Dillon. What you got? I'm with you on the Golden Grams. Yeah. Like, before bed. I never liked them for breakfast. I like them as dessert. Ooh, yeah, oh, never nice little crunch with some vanilla. Emily's yeah. getting upset. This yeah. is not the point of her story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now we're just all in on cereal. Cereal's booming here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we've got a lot going on in the tropics, although the next big storm system, this Hurricane Nigel, is expected to strengthen into a major hurricane, but it's going to stay out over the water. But it's this little area right in through here off the southeast coast that we'll have to keep an eye on. There's a 30% chance of this developing into something over the next five to seven days, and obviously right along the east coast there, so that is something we will ask. Uh, certainly keep an eye on. But here is Hurricane Nigel. It is a Category 1 storm right now. Winds are up to 80 miles per hour. It is going to remain as a very strong hurricane, even strengthening into a major hurricane. But you see it's out over the water, although this still could impact the surf along the East Coast, close enough to maybe make uh, the rip currents a little more dangerous as that storm moves up the East Coast. In the meantime, we do have heavy rain across uh, the Mid-Atlantic into New England today. That is going to be gone by tomorrow morning. And then otherwise, things are staying nice and quiet even warm across a good portion of the country. And that's your latest forecast. Dylan? Thank you, D. Coming up, a new way to whip football fans into a frenzy. Kaylee Hartung is going to take us inside that massive video board that's now being used. Dylan, you'll appreciate this at the home of your Patriots. And wait until you see what it takes to run that thing. Where's Al when you really need him? We're going to debate pumpkin spice. Oh, geez. But now it's being reignited, this whole thing, by Ryan Reynolds, where he stands on fall's favorite flavor. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.